Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. <clears throat> Hope you're glad you're here. And a little bit of a misty, cooler morning. I, uh, when I got up this morning, I was um, just getting ready and uh, praying for service. I was walking around my house, and I looked outside. <clears throat> I was a little bit alarmed because there was something there that wasn't there the night before. And so I look out my window, and by the uh, light post over here, you'll see it as you exit church today, uh, by the light post was a scarecrow sitting in a chair. And uh, if you see that at 4.35 o'clock in the morning, it may not look exactly like it does during the day. So I looked out the window, I was a little bit alarmed. I opened the door, and okay, all right, we're good, just a, just a scarecrow. So uh, the town is apparently doing some sort of competition with scarecrows, just didn't know they would show up in front of the house in the middle of the night. So uh, that was fun this morning waking up to that. Uh, but today we'll be in our series. Uh, if you're with us online, then we're glad that you're here. If you're with us in person, same thing. Uh, my name's Michael and I'm the pastor here. And so we've been in this series on church evaluation and today we'll be in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, we've been in the book of Revelation for several weeks now and today we're going to be taking a look at the church in Smyrna. And so <clears throat> the church in Smyrna, we actually have quite a bit of information about. Uh, some of the other churches in Revelation, we're not sure uh, about certain things. And so what we know about the church in Smyrna was there was a guy named Polycarp. He was the pastor there. He was discipled by John. And uh, we showed you a video several weeks ago. I'd like to show it again just because it kind of encompasses what Polycarp and the church there in Smyrna was going to go through in the years to come. So go ahead and turn your attention to the screens. Like a scene straight out of Gladiator, the 86-year-old Bishop of Smyrna was dragged into the Colosseum. His name was Polycarp. He was told to recant his faith in Christ, but he refused. 86 years I have served him, said Polycarp, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The Colosseum crowd chanted, let loose the lion, but the Roman proconsul chose death by fire instead. Then Polycarp heard a voice, a voice from heaven. The voice said, be strong, Polycarp, play the man. And he did. As the pyre was lit on fire, Polycarp prayed one last prayer. I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs. The flames engulfed him but like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the flames did not consume him. Instead of burning flesh, the aroma of frankincense filled the Colosseum. So the executioner stabbed Polycarp through the flames. Polycarp bled out, but not before he lived out John's exhortation to the church at Smyrna, the church that Polycarp pastored. Polycarp was discipled and ordained by John himself, so he didn't just read these words in Revelation 2.10. He could hear John's voice. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, said John. Be faithful even to the point of death. And he was. Polycarp died fearlessly, died faithfully. He did what the voice from heaven had commanded. Be strong, Polycarp, play the man. So the phrase I want you to remember today is suffering well. And there are always texts that you come to and you go, do we really have to talk about that? <laughs> because that's uncomfortable. Or it's, 
painful, but the reality of life is that we go through difficulty, right? And we go through suffering, and um, the ability to be able to handle that suffering in the right way and to be able to see God's purpose in the midst of that uh, is essential for being able to live the Christian life and certainly not to despair. Uh, And so I wonder, as you think about maybe those milestones of suffering, I, I think of them as um, I love that Kristen talked about that, uh, their um, struggle with cancer, and uh, as many of you in the room have or family members have, um, you come to that place and you find yourself easily relying on God, and so I love that you talk about that because that ties right in with today, uh, and then there are times that we, we exit more of the struggle and we find ourselves relying more on ourselves, and so we go through this ebb and flow of life, and just want to share a couple of milestones with you from my life, and just to put this in perspective, um, so that maybe we think of some of the same things, and we go, what was God doing then? How did he guide me through that time? What was he teaching me? And at the end of that, what was the, what was the summation of that, the suffering that took place? And so, <clears throat> you know, many of you know my story. At the age of 10 years old, uh, a man walked into my church, and he shot 14 people. And that was kind of the beginning of uh, what I had to deal with as real suffering, you know? Uh, Some people think of this as uh, physical suffering or mental suffering or emotional suffering. We go through a variety of those throughout life. And so that was really kind of the first time I I just asked this question, why God in the midst of the suffering? And sometimes we don't get that answer at first. Well, fast forward, at 19, I uh, I was going through a light, it was green, and a guy in a truck hit me on the driver's side. And as a result of that, I've had chronic back pain for pretty much every day uh, since that's taken place. And in that time, too, I was going, God, why? You know, in the midst of suffering. So we've experienced uh, mental, emotional anguish. We experience physical pain in life, too, and sometimes things that just never go away. And we go, God, how do we operate in the midst of suffering? And then <clears throat> coming up on three years ago, I found out I had cancer for the first time, melanoma. And uh, Christy and I were actually um, talking about that this week. As you come up on anniversaries of suffering, uh, God reminds you of how he's teaching you through the midst of that. Uh, I remember I had my uh, second surgery uh, to remove cancer on her birthday. And uh, so we sat in uh, a room and, and had that done outpatient, luckily, and haven't had any cancer come back since then. And so I appreciate your thoughts and prayers for that. But as I share those things with you, I know we all have those kind of milestone sufferings, those things that take place. Maybe you're going through that right now. Uh, Maybe you did a few years ago. Uh, Maybe you, well, I know you will in the future. The question is just, when will that come, not if that will come. And so as we uh, read the words that Jesus gave to the church in Smyrna, we have to go, okay, I know that suffering is going to take place. The question is, how will I handle that? Because God's right there. He's guiding me. It's like when Jesus was right next to John, when he's speaking to him, and he's seeing him initially, and he falls on his face like he's dead. And what does Jesus do? He puts his hand on him, and he says, don't fear. Well, Jesus is going to say something similar to the church in Smyrna. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. It's just a few verses today, uh, but some really, really deep stuff. And so just so we have some background, too, to this book, um, maybe you've been here during the series, maybe it's your first time to be here today, Uh, we know that John, who was the last living disciple, uh, apostle of the Lord, he was with Jesus during his ministry, Um, he trained countless people, including Polycarp, who was the pastor of the church in Smyrna, who we're reading about today, and he's telling his disciple, you're going to suffer, and the church is going to suffer, And, and Jesus himself gives us to John, and he tells him, 
here's how you're going to be able to do this. Here's how you're going to be able to do it. And so the <clears throat> city in Smyrna, it was a place that uh, was, was very well uh, versed in uh, all the classic trades, and there was a lot of things kind of going through and coming out, and it was a very wealthy city. So people had a lot of distraction uh, among the churches in Asia. That was one of the things that was key. It was primary for them that kept them away from God. <clears throat> so if you go there today, uh, it'll, it's in Turkey, so you might have a little bit of a hard time getting there. Uh, it's in a place known as Ismar, and if you go there, you will find about 90, 95% Islamic uh, religious beliefs there. And so it's not anymore a place that's dedicated to the Lord, but it was. And God was preparing this place, and I think like he is preparing us, and he already has for the variety of suffering we're going through. We're like, I know we may be thinking like, you know, okay, pastor, we've been through some suffering, like let's take a break. Let's take a break from that, right? But as life progresses, it seems like those things, they just come up and they come up. And so we have to say, how do we address those and how do we handle those? And so the first one is, I'm just looking at this idea of true riches. So that's the first fill in the blank as we look at this uh, suffering, suffering well, because sometimes we don't suffer so well. Sometimes we blame God and we get angry and we, and we don't try to see the purpose in all of it. Uh, and so the first one is true Riches. And so in verse 8, it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. And so if you remember, Jesus said something similar to John when he's like, Oh my goodness, like I'm overwhelmed by just being in your presence. And he, he says, I want you to tell this to the church. I want you to tell this to Polycarp and to the faithful believers there. The words of the first and the last, the one who died. And came to life, and so in this season, um, we've we've listened to the words of a lot of experts, right? Okay, people went to school, spent their lives, you know, um, training to tell us things that we should do in a season of uncertainty, right? And some of those things worked out really well, you know. Some of them not so much, right? I'm not here to criticize that, but what I am here to say is that there are words of somebody who's far more important, right, than any expert, than anybody who's like tried to help in a season of uncertainty in our world. Uh, there's the words of Jesus, and so he's, he's wanting the church to understand, hey, it's going to be all right, okay? And I've got this end goal in mind for you. So the words of the first and the last, like we talked about in the book of John today, in the quiet time that Andy shared with us, um, we have this hope that there is this light. And the good news is that all of our knowledge, all of our belief, everything that we practice, well, it existed with God in the very beginning, in the person and work of Jesus before anything else existed. And Jesus himself comes down. We know he lived that sinless life for us. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. Again, we'll see that in the text today that Jesus is going, it's going to be okay because of who I am and what I've done. It's not going to be okay because things are going to turn out perfectly for you, right? And if you've lived more than a few years, right, you, you begin to experience difficulty. Uh, if you've had toddlers, then you know about two or three years old, they start going, no, or I don't like that, or they start uh, defying you, right? And so we experience that in life. We go, why is there chaos? Why is there difficulty? Well, because of us, right? Because of the fall. So Adam and Eve, they took of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and sin entered the world. And I think we're kind of constantly asking that question, like when something happens, when suffering takes place, why, God? Sounds like a good name for a series. I might use it sometime in the near future. But we ask that question, and, and what's the answer? Sometimes at the very beginning, maybe even in the midst of suffering, we don't even know, right? We cry out to the Lord, and sometimes it's just enough that God himself, his presence is there. 
And maybe we find out the purpose later. I don't know. It's different in every circumstance. But if we understand what these true riches are in the source of Jesus, then we're able to navigate the season a little bit better, right? Uh, and I love that um, we, as a church, I think we've experienced a lot of difficulty, not just because of what the, what's going on in the world and what has gone on recently, but just because of illness, because of sickness, because of loss. Um, and those are things that take place, and we, we still, we have to go, God, what were you teaching us? How were you um, leading us towards you in that? And because he's trying to reshape this for the church. He's trying to go, hey, I know this is what the world thinks is a bad situation, but you're actually rich. And so here's what he says in verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but of the synagogue of Satan. So the church in Smyrna, Polycarp, they were carrying out the mission of the Lord. Um, they, were, they were worshiping. They were in this place. And, and John's going to, through, through what Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, things are going to be difficult. But, you know, you're actually really rich when it comes to the Lord, when it comes to the reality of life, the things that are unseen. Paul talks about this in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, that this these situations that we go through, this difficulty, it's not worth comparing to the future glory um, that we will receive. And if in the moment, like the church in Smyrna, they were only focused on, man, things are really difficult. Like people are getting like hauled off, like Polycarp's family, you know, oh, hey, bye mom, or bye <clears throat> sister or brother. Oh, they took him. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're not going to see him again. And what was the church in Ro- the Romans they were doing? They were taking Christians and uh, doing just awful things with them, right? Throwing them in the Colosseum. So how do we want to kill them now? We're going to put the lions out there. That sounds like a good idea today. Or we're going we're to light them on fire. And you see that's what takes place uh, for Polycarp, but yet he didn't catch on fire. And so you see various historical books that reference that. Uh, and it's just kind of interesting to see his life. But, but all this he went through, it wasn't just about his own suffering. He was, he was being told, hey, you're going to suffer as a whole. You're going to suffer as a family of faith. You're going to go through the difficulty. There was a church historian, Pringus of Beha, who said this, Christ praises the church, for through many tribulations she contends for the kingdom. So when is God teaching us the most? When is he growing us the most? When is he growing the church the most? And I think we saw this. I mean, everything from, you know, when we first came to the church, uh, six months later, it was like, oh, we're not meeting in person anymore. Oh, you're talking to a camera for the next three months. And that wasn't super fun, right? And so as we gather back together, we, we realize, oh man, did we take some things for granted? And this guy, he talks about the church. He says, for through many tribulations, she contends for the kingdom. So we didn't just like stop, right? We didn't just go, oh, things are too hard. So like, we'll come back when things are like good again. No, we continued to meet, right? And we did the video thing. And we've come back and we figure out how to navigate that season. And I think God was preparing us for uh, a season of uh, growth, a season of starting new things, starting things back up that we used to do, the children's and youth ministries, um, meeting again together as small groups, classes that would talk about what's going on in life, and, and then have the, the water of the word um, wash that in our lives. And so, you know, I think about that and the, the life that we can have um, through God in the midst of the suffering. And Jesus wants to encourage the church, then he wants to encourage us too, because there's a lot of people that... Um, have come up against the church lately. There's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of people drawing lines in the sand where at times it seems like maybe they don't need to be drawn there, right? Uh, maybe we don't need to have fights over things that shouldn't matter. And so he says this, and the slander of those 
who say that they are Jews and are not, that are of the synagogue of Satan. So these two words here, you've got synagogue, it's a place for worship, right? So we know that from Jewish culture. And this word here for Satan, Satanus, meaning the adversary of God. So it seems pretty clear, but if you put it together a little bit differently, I kind of rearranged it, it just kind of goes like this, a place of worship for the adversaries of God. So as we think about those that oppose the church, those that mistreat, um, those that would uh, you know, want to hurt us or say things um, that are awful about us, maybe even things that are not true. And we look at this and we go, you know what? There's a place reserved for everyone. And, and are we, aren't we glad um, that we have a place reserved in heaven? And this will all point, like, God's not, Jesus is not saying to, to John to tell the Polycarp in the church, like, hey, tomorrow... Things are going to be perfect, um, like you're going to get everything back, like, you know, because what was the church in Rome doing? Well, they were taking people, they were killing them, they were taking their stuff, their money, and so all of that situational security was being removed, and Jesus didn't say, hey, don't worry, I'm going to restore all that, and then some. No, he said, things are going to be difficult, and you're going to suffer, and he's going to point them towards this, the true life that they could have. So it's kind of re-evaluating riches. So what, what do we really have? How do we value what we do? Um, how do we have stability in suffering? And then the second fill in the blank is this, true life. Um, so where do we find true life? And we certainly don't find it um, in the things that the, the rest of the world does, right? And kind of building um, that platform, that 401k, that house, that car, whatever it is. Even our families, at times, you know, we, we feel security and stability there. But for the church in Smyrna, um, they didn't have any of those things, right? I mean, just people were getting hauled off, and eventually Polycarp did, although he lived pretty pretty long time uh, before he had to stand before the Roman tribunal. So there's some encouragement here for us because we have this true life in the crown that God gives us. So we get crowns in this life, but we also get a crown of life that we'll read here in verse 10. Uh, It says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And so... We know what takes place for Polycarp and for the church. And here in verse 10, Jesus says something similar to that he says to John. He says, hey, don't fear. Where was John when Jesus was, was opening up the fabric of space and time? He was on an island, like we, remember what we, what we talked about, not the, like the Bahamas, okay? He was on uh, this island that was dedicated to just people who society didn't, didn't want anymore. They would fight each other, they would kill each other for their stuff, and the Roman guards would just stand by there and just sort of make sure that that natural course of things took place, right? So Jesus is reassuring John, but he's also reassuring the church. He says, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. For ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So this word here for fear, uh, phobeo in the Greek, um, it's just the word where we get the word for uh, phobia, right? Everybody has different phobias, whether it's spiders or, you know, heights. Or even if, like, I start talking about those, people are already, like, imagining, like, no, don't talk about those. My worst fear. And we all have fears, right? Well, uh, if you can imagine a greater fear being stripped away from your family, being taken to the Colosseum, I mean, that's a pretty decent thing to be afraid of, right? A spiders maybe one thing, but this was a real fear for them. So he says, don't fear. Well, Why? Well, 
because he, they were going to be given this crown of life. So when we step into heaven, and I love that um, we're, we're, this is kind of the direction that Jesus is turning this, hey, things may not be better right now. They may not even be better throughout the extended time of your life, but remember what the end goal is, this crown of life that as we're faithful, can you imagine standing before God? And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he gives us this crown of life. And I liked what Kristen said, too, when we were having our worship time. Uh, it's not really, like, when you're going through the, the midst of the struggle, it's not really about um, even how difficult things are. But God is yet reminding us that as we walk through this, we're, we're given hope, we're given confidence, and we're brought closer to him through it. Like, we, we think about the crown of life when things are hard, right? We're like, that crown of life, like, things are bad right now, but I'm going to get that crown of life, Right? And then we walk towards the end of that suffering and go, okay, crown of life is still cool, but I'm going to go over here and I'm going to kind of do my own thing that I enjoy a little more right now. Uh, and so we, we want to not get away from that place, but we do from time to time. And so sometimes it does. It takes a little bit of that suffering in our life to bring us back to that place. Uh, there was an autobiography that was written about Polycarp's life. And something interesting, as you read the story about Polycarp being taken to the Colosseum and, of course, his friends and family were like, you know, get out of here, like, just run, and then, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll find you later, and you'll be able to keep leading the church. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. Why do, why do I need to run away? Like, there's countless other people who have been drug off, brought, before the, brought into the Colosseum, and put to death, so why would I do that? And uh, in this autobiography, he, he said these words, recorded in history, uh, to these guards who, as they brought him into the Colosseum, they put him up on the pyre, and typically what they would do, like, they nailed Jesus to the cross, they would put nails through a hand or through a leg to keep them from running away. And Polycarp looks at him and he says this, Leave me as I am, for he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on the pyre unmoved. Now, can you imagine, like, you know what's about to take place. Most of us, if we knew the suffering that was going to take place in our lives, we would go, how can I make that not happen? How can I run the opposite direction? How can I keep that from taking place? But God doesn't reveal a lot of those things to us. Sometimes we see how things will get worse, but for Polycarp, he knew exactly what was going to happen. He said, same God who brought me to this point, he's going to allow me to stand here and not move. When most people go, yeah, you're going to light that on fire, I'm going to run away, right? But Polycarp said, no, I'm going to stand right here. So uh, the Lord's going to give me the strength to do that. And we can't even imagine, right? I mean, we just can't even imagine a situation from like, we, we go into our suffering and we're going like, God, why did you let this ailment happen to me? Like, um, God, why did this uh, person pass away? Like they were everything to me or why, you know, and we can just put a number of things in that question of like, why God in regards to suffering? And we keep being brought back to this place of God's testing and his refining and him molding us into the person that we need to be. And so instead of when we ask that question, why God, with the attitude of, why do you not love me? We should ask this with, God, I know you love me, so help me understand, right? Help me see the purpose and allow me to have peace in the midst of it. Certainly with that being the end goal, the crown of life. Uh, And so in the same autobiography, um, when people were asked afterwards, like, you know, historians were going, what did people say, like, about Polycarp, about about his life? Why did he just stand there in the midst of the fire? Uh, It says this, everyone he is spoken of by the heathen in every place. So when people were asked about this, like, why did he do that? Like, uh, it said a lot about Christianity, didn't I mean, you can imagine somebody being drugged into a coliseum and being told, hey, I'm good, like, I'll stand here. No matter what you do, I'm not going to move. 
And so in this world that we live in, and especially in the, the, the tumultuous things that are going on, all the criticism and all the hate and all the just, you know, you're evil if you don't do what I do, if you don't believe what I believe. And maybe we need a little bit more of uh, Polycarp's attitude, which was he, he believed what he did right then mattered for the sake of Christianity and for his God and for eternity, stepping into eternity, being given that crown of life. So what we do says a lot, and um, I actually was praying about this this morning and um, what to share because a lot of you came to my mind in regards to suffering because we all experience it, and I'm praying for some of you right now that are suffering right now, some that have suffered, some that will suffer, which is all of us. And so I like what uh, Kristen said and she shared you know, about the cancer, being in the midst of that and how God uh, brought her uh, close to himself. And then we've had others that have struggled with that as well. I think about your mom uh, going through the same thing, Kristen, and um, David's loss of Esther, and he's here with us, and Angelica here too, so we love you being here with us in this family of faith, and, and just being able to think about going through those things together and going, God, we don't want to get away from this place of, maybe we want to get away from suffering situationally, but we don't want to get away from this place of how you have brought us close to ourselves. And I, I can't tell you how much it's encouraged me. Um, in my first couple of years, um, being a lead pastor, uh, which is still strange to some people, we went to a conference uh, over the last couple of days. We came back last night. Uh, it was a great time. It was with a lot of small town pastors, and um, the age of the group of pastors in there was Let's just say it was a lot more above what our age is. And so as we met with people, and he said, hey, you know, what do you do? How long have you been doing pastoral ministry? And there was a lot of surprise. Oh, wow, okay, you, you've been doing it that long. And, and I, I thought to myself in the last couple of years, like, and I just felt like we've lived like 10 years, you know, worth of, worth of ministry and uh, suffering. And in some ways, I think we should be thankful for that, um, that maybe it's you that suffered. But as you went through the midst of that, I want to just encourage you uh, that God used that. And as people watched you, they went, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. That's how someone is supposed to look like when they suffer. And so it says a lot to the world. It says a lot to us. As we really think about that crown of life, do we really believe it? Uh, Matt's going to share with us next week on heaven. And so uh, what, that, what that end goal looks like. Uh, when we think about life in the perspective of, I will receive this crown of life, but I have to make decisions that prove that I believe what I say I believe in this life, especially in the midst of the suffering, right? Because it's like when the rubber meets the road, it's easy to go, I was kidding. Like, this is too hard. Um, take it back, God, right? But he won't because what are we doing? We're showing the rest of the world Christianity is real, right? And then we're showing the family of faith this is how we navigate the season of difficulty and suffering, right? We're there to support each other and lift each other up. And um, that's why I think we've done that um, in a great degree. And the Lord has taught us a lot. And I just, I thought as we were in those, you know, sessions, we were meeting with other pastors who've been through a variety of difficult situations. And I'm like, you know, God's shown us so much suffering in, in just our, our short life and our short ministry. And with you guys getting to share that. But you know how much God has taught us? Man. Um, I, I, I count myself fortunate um, to be able to go through the midst of that. And as uh, John talks to Polycarp, he tells him the word that Jesus says. He wants to encourage him with this crown of life, this Stephanos Zoe in the Greek. And um, this word for Stephanos, interestingly enough, because Stephen was the first deacon that was martyred, uh, this word for crown is this mark of royalty. And you imagine that? Stephen is being stoned to death in the book of Acts. 
as the first deacon martyr, and he, he steps into heaven, and he's like, <laughs> Jesus says, the crown of life, Stephanos, Zoe. Stephen's like, that sounds a little bit like my name. He's like, well, you deserve it because you've walked through the midst of suffering and you've received this crown of life. And so this word for life is used 135 times Zoe uh, in the Greek New Testament. And it's almost always pointing to heaven, this perspective of heaven, that as we suffer, as we experience the difficulty, we're encouraged because we know that this life is about more than just this life, right? That we will receive this crown of life that Jesus gives to us at the end. So here's the last thing, this true death. Um, and so this has been a fun Sunday, right? We've talked about all these fun things, suffering and kind of redefining some things for us. So this true riches in our life, like what's really valuable? What's really important to us? Um, what makes us feel good? Like at the end of the day, we lay our heads on our pillows. Um, is it our status, our accomplishment? Uh, or is it, are we able to say, God, thank you for the past suffering. Thank you for the present suffering. Thank you for the suffering that will take place. And that's a really hard thing to do, isn't it? So we talk about redefining that true riches, a true life, because life, when we think about it in the context of eternity, uh, it it's, looks a little different for us, right? As we go through the difficulty, we don't say, God, this is awful, take it away, although it may be. We say, God, in the midst of this suffering, we trust you, and we say, hey, Help us understand what the purpose is. How are we going to affect somebody later on in life? And, and more often than not, a lot of the stories that I think we shared in the midst of suffering, not just with COVID, um, but with cancer and with loss of life, um, during that same season, it just seemed like it was overwhelming. But what God kept showing us was, hey, you're being an encouragement to the world. You're being an encouragement to the fellow believers, um, the people that are really struggling. I just kept hearing story after story of like you guys having conversations. Um, I think about the Shoggers, um, Anna and, and her uh, her battle with cancer as well, and um, just having a lot of conversations with people who just go like, I don't know how you're doing this. And she's like, oh, it's God. And then she's able to have conversations with people about the Lord and about navigating that season, because what do people do in the midst of life-threatening illness um, or, or just terrible situations that they just despair, right? They go, the world is over, right? But it's not, because what's our end goal? We're going to talk about it next week. It's heaven, but it's this, when we stand before God, this crown of life, and as we go through the suffering, man, we, sh- we can't waste it, right? Um, there's so much suffering that we go through that at times we just go, this was for nothing. But you know what it was for? It was for something, right? Um, I, uh, before I go into the last point, this true death, um, <clears throat> the shooting that took place at the church, there were a lot of funerals you know, that happened afterwards. You can imagine a 10-year-old going to like funerals of uh, you know, friends and mentors, people that were not too far away in age. And I remember going to uh, one, it was for my choir teacher, Sydney. I'm still one of the most influential people in my life, just kind of set the tra- trajectory for me with the Lord. Uh, I went to her funeral and I just said, like, God, I don't know what you could possibly do good out of this. I remember sitting there, you know, people are crying, and I'm just going like, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of the suffering? And I think it was a really honest question to ask, and, and the weeks that came, we had like this memorial service. There was a, a, a prayer service. There was a priest who got up to offer a prayer, um, kind of in the midst of singing, like Michael W. Smith was there, and like different people who were you know, doing things as uh, tribute. Uh, and this priest got up, and he was supposed to pray. So I thought, this is going to be good. It'll be encouraging. Uh, and he, he gets up there and he just says, God wastes nothing. And he got down. I was like, that's not a prayer. 
This is like, that's a statement. I'm not even sure if it's a good one, right? But, but in the years that passed, I kept thinking about that. Christy and I were talking about this week, too, as we kind of come up on anniversaries of things and suffering. It seems like they've kind of happened around a similar time frame. And so as we went through that, I just kept coming back to that, that, that priest's words um, where he said, God wastes nothing. And, and we can't, can't ever get to that place where we think about how we experience the difficulty in life and the suffering and go, this is for nothing, right? Because then what do we learn? Well, we learn nothing, right? And so if we believe that God wastes nothing, then he's always going to do something in the midst of it, right? He's always going to be teaching us. He's always going to be giving us this opportunity to show the world Christianity is real uh, and then also encourage the believers, right? Because that person who you're encouraging right now is probably going to go through something difficult later on in life. So I always remember that. And so here's the last point, true death. And so there's this true death in conquering. It's the last verse. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And, and I didn't plan it this way. Um, Matt and I had been talking. He's like, hey, I think I'm going to talk about heaven. I'm like, man, that's perfect. That's perfect. Because where do we find ourselves uh, in the midst of this, in the midst of the suffering? Uh, Jesus reminds the church, he says, hey, he who has an ear, let him hear. It's not just about a physical ear because we can hear things. Uh, but he who has this spiritual ear, let him hear what God says to the churches. And he says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And so this word for conqueror, the nikeo in the Greek, it's the, just as blueletterbible.com defines it, uh, of Christians that hold fast their faith even unto death against the power of their foes and the temptations and persecutions that come. And so what are we? I mean, we sing about it like we're conquerors, right? We're conquerors in Christ. It's easy for us to sing about it, but then when we come to this place of like, oh, I'm actually suffering, and now I have to go, do I believe that? Because remember, what, what do we say to the rest of the world? We show the rest of the world if Christianity is true, is right. We also encourage our family of faith to go, you will experience something. It will be difficult. I don't know what it is, but you will. That's a guarantee. And as we watch others they encourage us to be able to walk through that difficulty and go, there's something I'm supposed to learn. And this is not a wasteful thing that I'm going through. Because this Greek word for death, here it says the second death. You're like, I think I'm only going to die once. Well, when Scripture talks about death, yes, it talks about this physical death, but then this place where we go, we stand before God and there's going to be this judgment seat, right? This is what Hebrews tell us. We, uh, we will have one life to live and then comes the judgment. And as we stand before God, I wonder what our thoughts will be, but um, Jesus tells us the church in Smyrna, he says, these conquerors will not be hurt by the second death. And so as we stand by God, before God, having put our faith and trust in him, he's going to put this crown of life on us. But there's going to be this other group of people who stand before God, and as, um, as Jesus is encouraging the church in Smyrna, he goes, it's going to be okay. And here's this end goal, heaven, placement uh, with God. And this word here in the Greek for death, it's a different kind of word. Second and then death in the Greek is thanatos. And it means this, the death one experiences when a person is sent to hell and experiences eternal life and torment separated from him. Now, it may not be popular, right? It may not be fun as we talk about suffering. I know it gets even better. Then we talk about hell and we're like, man, good Sunday, right? But we can't avoid what's in the text. And the truth is that we will go through the suffering. And as we kind of redefine what being rich in Christ is in the midst of the suffering and say, what is really true life? What is walking through the midst of this and going, God, I know you don't waste anything. 
So what are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to help me encourage the world to believe in you? And how are you trying to encourage me to help fellow believers that are walking alongside me in the midst of this? And then we read about this true death, and we're like, what's going on? Well, we know that if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, we will die a physical death, and we'll stand before God, and there will be this second death that Jesus talks about when he's talking to the church in Smyrna, because they're in this place where, like, real physical death is probably going to take place pretty soon for them, and it did for Polycarp, too. And he's standing in this place. You've got to know that he's thinking about these words that John said that Jesus told him to say, hey, those who are conquerors they're not going to experience, they're not going to be hurt by this Thanatos, the second death. And as we stand before God, he puts this crown of life on us. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. As we walk into heaven, we have to be aware of and we have to deal with the reality that what we do here matters, right? There's purpose. And as we think about heaven, we should be going, I need to do everything I can right now that in the midst of the suffering, I, I'm being faithful, I'm, I'm seeking out that purpose, and I'm encouraging those that are around me, both believers and unbelievers, because there will be a day they will stand there too. And, and Jesus says, he says, hey, be encouraged, because those who conquer, well, you won't be hurt by the second death. And so Jesus said something else about this, and I'll read this in closing. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 through 33, he says, so have no fear. He uses the same word there for fear. This is Jesus talking too. Have no fear, for nothing is covered that will be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim it on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, he says it again, fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Isn't this cool? We, we talk about suffering. We look at the church in Smyrna, and we have to go, God, there's a purpose, right? Like what that, what that priest said, I just thought that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard in that situation. Why well, say that? Offer some more words of encouragement and prayer. But God wastes nothing, right? And so whether you're, you've suffered in the past, which my guess is you probably have, or whether or not you're suffering right now, or I know that you will suffer something in the future, we have to have this perspective that God redefines us for us, the true riches. What do we have in Christ? We have everything. Even if we leave this life early or prematurely, or we suffer something, we just go, God, I shouldn't have had to deal with that at my age or had to experience that. Do you not love me? Well, he does, because what does he do? He gives us the crown of life. He gives us this true life. And then in true death, we really understand, as we read these last couple of words, because they're weighty, right? We have to go, oh, God's serious about what happens to us when we die. And he gives us this opportunity to put our faith and trust in him. And I hope that you've done that. I have one more quote I want to share because we've, we've watched a couple of movies recently um, uh, just kind of based off of J.R.R. Tolkien's books. So if you've read like the Lord of the Rings series, you watch the movies, you know, they came out with The Hobbit after they came out with The Lord of Rings. And there was a particular quote, um, it's one that I, we were watching the movie and I was like, oh, I got to write that down. Uh, and after watching the movie about J.R.R. Tolkien's life, it made a little bit more sense. And I think he was talking about something different when he said this. Now, this was um, <clears throat> at the end of the movie, so spoiler, right? Battle of the Five Armies, I think it was, The Hobbit. Uh, Thorin, if you remember the character, the, the dwarf, uh, he was like the leader of the dwarves, and he's fighting this evil character, this, 
uh, orc, right? Those are the bad guys. Uh, and he deals a fatal blow, but not before sustaining one himself. And he's, he's laying in this frigid place, and Bilbo runs over to him, the hobbit who's been with him throughout this whole thing. They called him the burglar. That's why they brought him along. And uh, so he's, he's laying there with Thorin, and he's bleeding out. And he, he looks, he's looking at Thorin, and Thorin says something interesting to him. Because the whole quest, if you remember, all these movies were about slaying the dragon, getting the gold, taking back our home. And for Thorin, it had become about gold. It had become about what he could gain in this life. And here's what he says to Bilbo. He says, if people loved home more than gold, this world would be a merry place. And so... What I know about J.R.R. Tolkien's life, he lost his dad early on in life. He lost his mom. He got passed around between foster families. Eventually found himself in a, in a group home. But what do you think he was talking about when he was writing that? Do you think he was talking about, like, I remember going home, mom and dad, like, dinner on the table? That's not exactly what J.R.R. Tolkien went through. And what he writes about, I think, is pointing us towards this greater reality of heaven. When he said those words, when he wrote down those words on the page, as Thorin's laying there, I think he was saying something else. I think he was talking about heaven. And so I'll read one more passage and leave you with that. But I want to encourage us that as we think about really redefining what true riches are in our lives, this true life that we're given as we experience the difficulty, and this true death, we will all experience death, at least physically, if Jesus doesn't come back before the end of our lives. And then we have to stand before God, and he either gives us the crown of life, or he says, depart from me, I never knew you, right? We all have to deal with the reality of that and living this life like it matters and it should. And as we go through suffering, we should, should be able to do that. Not that it won't be hard. Not that there won't be points where we go like, what is the purpose? We have to know God doesn't waste anything. So I'll read 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, and then we'll pray. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us, preparing for us eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so maybe, maybe as you're here today, you're like, not exactly what I was thinking about. Like, beginning of, you know, we're in fall, like, let's have a happy message. But we come to the church in Smyrna, and we have to deal with these realities that suffering takes place. We've got to redefine what riches really are. We've got to understand what having true life is, because it's not just like, always having health and always having money and everybody you, about, you care about always being and feeling great, right? There's difficulty, there's struggle. And then we have to really, really bear in on this weight of death because when Paul talks about it here in Second Corinthians as we close the message out, and as Gerald Token wrote about home, Thorin said, hey, man, if more people loved home more than gold, this world would be a merry place. And so we've got to think about that. When Paul was writing these words as well, the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There's things that are more important, right? That we experience presently, the suffering that we go through leads us to a place where we can encourage the world. People don't know Jesus. Hey, it's real because I can go through the midst of this suffering and still believe. People in our church who we've encouraged during this season, I know many of you have, we go, God, I need to be an encouragement to the family of faith. Help me to do that. Help me to see the things that are not transient, the things that change, the things in this world. Help me to see the eternal things, the unseen things uh, that I know when we stand before God, uh, we will be thankful, right, that we did, that we persevered, uh, like what uh, Jesus tells to the churches in the book of Revelation. So um, I want to pray for you. Before I do that, 
If anybody's here, if anybody online says, I don't know what that's like. I don't know what to have. Like what we read in the quiet time this morning in the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word is God, it's Jesus. And he came to this earth and he lived a sinless life and he died on the cross so that you could have eternal life. You could have this crown of life that God gives to us at the end of life. And we don't suffer that second death, being separated from him forever, for eternity. So you need to believe and you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Maybe you're listening online, maybe you're here in person, you've never made that decision. Uh, I'd love to talk to you more about that. Well, let me pray for us and we'll close. Uh, Father, we come to you in this season, um, God, of uh, it seems like coming out of a lot of difficulty, a lot of suffering, maybe things semi-normalizing. God, there's still a lot of hate and division and cruelty. Um, God, as we see suffering, as we experience it ourselves, I pray that we would be able to maybe redefine what true riches are, God, that we would experience this true life, not that everything's perfect, not that we don't experience pain, not that we don't experience loss, because we do, but maybe... Just maybe, like we've read about, like we've um, heard about in other works. Um, maybe if we cared more about home, about eternity, about heaven, about the end goal, and that would change how we do everything here. Um, God, in this true death that we will experience physically before Jesus comes back, if that happens in our lifetime, we're super excited about that and thankful for it if it does. But if it doesn't, we stand before you. We're not hurt by that second death. Um, God, that we would be with you forever in eternity. Help us have that perspective. Let us be an encouragement as we walk through difficulties, we walk through suffering. Let the rest of the world see that too, God, that uh, we are who we say we are, that we belong to you, and that that changes everything. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I love you, church. Have a great Sunday.